Hello, and welcome back to another edition of YCT Matters. This is Carol Platt-Lebow, the president of Yankee Institute, and today we're delighted to be joined by Gerald Walzak. And Jared is the vice president for state projects of the Tax Foundation. And you can find Tax Foundation's fantastic work online at taxfoundation.org. We are delighted you could join us, Jared, and thanks so much. Well, thanks for having me on. Well, we're delighted to have you because your work always tends to make headlines. We always uh, cite it um, because you do a wonderful job at putting out something called the State Business Tax Climate Index. And obviously, it helps all of us uh, take a look at how our states relatively stack up in terms of our tax systems. And well, I guess the bottom line is in Connecticut, we always wish the news were better. Um, but this year we came out, well, it could be worse. We could be California, New York, or New Jersey. I guess that's the good news, right? Because we came in at 47. You did. You came in at 47th, and you always seem to come in at 47th. Uh, if you look at our index over the years, and we actually have a table showing going back to 2014, where all the states have ranked every year, and you see a lot of movement as states have reformed their tax codes, made significant changes. Connecticut is just steady. It's 47, 47, 47, uh, going all the way back to 2014. And that's not a great place to be. No, it isn't. And, you know, let's talk a little bit before we talk about um, the reason, you know, the, w- some of the things that we can do to maybe claw our way upwards a little and get out of 47, let's talk a little bit about why we find ourselves here. Um, because, you know, the reasons are interesting and and they're instructive. Um, you know, we've talked before a little bit about how it's it's sort of death by a thousand cuts, right? I mean, the problem is in Connecticut, we have all the taxes. It isn't just a matter of one tax, like a hefty property tax or a hefty income tax or a hefty gas tax. We have all the taxes. You have all the taxes and you talk about clawing back. The problem is that uh, the state has been clawing all the income it can get out of all the revenue out of all of these taxes, much more so than most states. So you take, for instance, and we can go into more detail later, but you take a corporate income tax and it's already high, but then you put a surtax on that for the largest businesses with recapture. So basically, the first dollar of their income is subject to a higher rate if they're larger. Do the same with individuals where there's a recapture provision. You know, you think of graduated rate income taxes, and sometimes people don't understand how income taxes work basically everywhere else. And they say, oh, I don't want to earn more money because then I'll pay more in taxes. Like, yes, on the margin, but not more than, you know, you're not going to lose money on this deal. Connecticut kind of gets you there because Connecticut has recapture provisions where as you earn more, the higher rates not only apply to the marginal income that you're now earning, it applies downstream to income you already have. There's alternative minimum taxes. Uh, You know, you have this, uh, you know, this corporate AMT functionally by imposing a tax on the capital stock of businesses as an alternative base. Uh, Within the property tax, there's higher rates on businesses than on individuals. There's an estate tax. You just pick everything. Like you said, it's all the taxes and it's all of the taxes in uniquely punitive form. Um, And, you know, you don't have to go back very far. 1991 was when Connecticut adopted an individual income tax. And there were a lot of reasons for that. But one of the reasons that I think a lot of lawmakers talked about, the governor talked about was, 
we are going to wean ourselves off these really high property taxes. <laughs> and yeah, you laugh because of course the state still has really high property taxes. It just has a high income tax too. And that's why I think people always need to be so careful about ever uh adopting a new tax before the old one is actually eliminated. Um, you know, that's why at, at Yankee Institute, when we, when they were talking about tolls, Jared, um, you know, in theory, user fees are one of the less pernicious types of taxes. Um, but the problem was that, uh, you know, even though there was sort of discussion in the air about reductions in the gas tax in exchange for tolls, we all know how that story is going to end. It's going to end the same way the income tax did. You're going to end up with tolls and high gas prices, because even if they take the gas tax down a little bit, once they get the tolls, they'll just go ahead and raise the gas taxes right back up there the same way they did with property taxes. Yeah, unfortunately, I think you're right. And you know, certainly you're correct that tolls are better than many other forms of taxation. Yes. Uh, and when we have, I mean, the gas tax and tolls are both accomplishing something that is sort of benefits-based. It's a user-pay system. Those are good, and those are the appropriate ways to pay for your transportation infrastructure. But there's a low-trust environment in Connecticut, and unfortunately, I think it's merited that there isn't a belief that this is going to be used appropriately. There isn't a belief that one increase is going to offset another, certainly not for the long term. And that's a really difficult position the state finds itself in. It makes it harder to do reform, but it also suggests there's probably not as much appetite for reform as there ought to be. There are a lot of issues with Connecticut taxation. Again, very much an outlier um, you know, nationally. Uh, even in a high tax region, this is a more complex tax code than most of your peers have. Yes. So, Jared, let's talk about Connecticut. You know, our highest rate is 6.99% in terms of personal income tax for the highest earners. Um, let's talk about how that stacks up relative to some of the other states in the region, because obviously a lot of people here move out and go to, you know, Florida, South Carolina, but we also see them moving to places like Massachusetts, New Hampshire, you know, places like that. So, you know, what are your thoughts about the way that that we we do relative to other other regional competitors? Well, you are located in a high tax region. I mean, the whole corridor, the whole uh, northeast, you know, tends to be higher tax, a huge exception of course being New Hampshire with no individual income tax except on interest and dividend income and even that is phasing out. Uh, right. But you know, regionally, you do see higher taxes. New York has a 10.9% top rate. Um, you know, Maine's above seven. Um, Massachusetts, you know, on our index, uh, you know, you have a new neighbor, and it's your actual neighbor. You know, Massachusetts had been 36. They had sort of shed that Taxachusetts label that they long had, but they've now implemented a millionaire's tax. They've added a payroll tax, and suddenly. It's a 9% top individual income tax rate. You throw in a payroll tax, it'll vary a bit by year, but adds another 0.6% or so. And suddenly that's a very high rate. What's interesting about Connecticut is that recapture provision I mentioned that that 6.99% top rate can become your total rate, which uh, only New York does that as well. Uh, so that's, that's fairly unusual. Uh, Connecticut has made a little bit of a gain, I think, in uh, drawing some people from New York. Uh, you can actually see that in the migration data that uh, as New York has gotten worse, Connecticut has reversed some of the older trends. But still, uh, that's good 
regionally. You're drawing a few people regionally, but you see this significant outmigration uh, from Connecticut and other northeastern states to the yes. Sun Belt and really to the rest of the country. I think that's a significant concern. It's an aging state. It's a state where you're seeing you know, um, AGI leaving in addition to individuals leaving. Yes, um, because you know, as you see in the last uh, in the last census, we we were just you know we drew we drew in just barely enough to say that we were not losing people. And as you say, uh, we the people coming in were on average of lower income than the people leaving. Um, but you know, the question is how. How moving forward, what are some of the things that we should be looking at in terms of of um, cleaning up this mess a little bit? I mean, Yankee Institute has been, you know, putting out studies talking about various ways we could reform the tax code. But in your view, what what would you be thinking of doing? I think there's a few things. One, uh, you see the headlines sometimes in Connecticut where very wealthy individuals are departing the state late in retirement and you know they're they're avoiding the estate tax essentially. And right. the estate tax is an interesting tax where obviously it raises a fair amount of revenue. Uh, it does it in you know large chunks and it's a little unpredictable, but it does that at the expense of the rest of your taxes. Uh, generally speaking, if a person leaves uh, the state about 1.7 years, um, give or take, before their death, then you would have generated more taxes from them just generating the additional income tax, sales tax, whatever else than you do with the estate tax. So if you're driving them out, if you're driving a lot of people out, the estate tax can actually lose money, even though obviously on the books, it raises a fair amount of revenue. Uh, well, to me, and, that's and, and the thing that's really interesting, and we've talked about this offline, um, Jared, that whole issue about about the 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 loss that's engendered by people uh, leaving the state because of the estate tax, especially when you talk about the mega wealthy, um, because you, there's so much that that you end up losing your your stores, your nonprofits, your churches, all kinds of different things. All of that is gone as these people depart. And, you know, one of the other things that we hadn't mentioned is the fact that Connecticut is the only state in the entire country with a gift tax. You are. And we penalize you for that in the index. And it's an odd variable because literally you're the only state it exists for at this point. I hope someday we can take that variable out of the index because it won't matter anymore. But estate tax and gift tax, uh, you know, terrible combination. You know, on top of that, of course, yeah, you know, high corporate income taxes, and particularly high for the largest businesses, businesses you want in the right. state. Um, yeah, and I think that's the problem. Sometimes this becomes very politicized. It becomes, oh, they're big businesses, they can afford to pay. But of course, big businesses have lots of options. And right. if they choose not to be there or to have a smaller footprint there, that is hurting the state. That's hurting employment levels in the state. And you can't afford that. I mean, we see what the long-term trends have been in Connecticut. They're not rosy. Uh, and you know, that there's just a generally bad treatment of business. Um, obviously, many businesses, most businesses are passed through businesses. They pay through the individual income tax. So they're likely to be hit by those recapture provisions. Uh, you, on your your first year expensing of you know, business expenses for small businesses, what's called 179 expensing, uh, you chip away a little bit at that. You know, a lot of states just follow what the federal government does. You say, well, we're going to take 20% of that back. Um, you know, it's even worse if you're a uh, you know, C corporation and you get no first year expensing in, uh, in in Connecticut. But what I mean by that is when you as a business have expenses 
your income taxes, corporate or individual, are supposed to be on your profits, essentially. So that means, you know, all your expenses should be coming out. But your investment expenses actually don't immediately come out. They get sort of amortized. They get depreciated over many years, which means you never get the full value of that back. It discourages investment. And you know, the federal government has accelerated uh, the depreciation offered at least for a while, 100% first year expensing. Some states do that. Connecticut does not, just sort of over and over again. Then you put the capital stock base in. Right. And what you're saying is, even if you don't have profits as a business, you could be losing money. You're still going to be hit with a corporate tax, maybe a substantial corporate tax. It's actually the highest rate of that in the country. It is capped, which not every state caps it. So that's good, I suppose. It's a silver lining on a very bad tax. But you're taxing capital investment, which you don't want to tax investment. Whatever you tax, you no. get less of. So investing in the state is not what you want to be taxing. Uh, but then you do it and you tax it in a way that means that even a business that's losing money, struggling, uh, they're still going to be hit. Again, just a lot of this tax structure is really hammering investment in the state, businesses in the state. And listen, I mean, there are lots of high tax states, and I think Connecticut could afford to be a lower tax state. But even within the revenue that Connecticut raises, you could do better. And that's a lot of what the index is looking at. It's not so much the how much as the how. And Connecticut does really poorly on the how. Yeah. And so um, and so as we look to how we could do better, um, let's talk a little bit about if someone said, okay, Tax Foundation come on in and let's try and structure this a little bit more intelligently. Aside from doing things like actually sunsetting the uh, corporate surcharge when they say they're going to do it and, you know, just starting to sort of um, you know, not do things like tax investment, because, I mean, we all remember what Ronald Reagan, you know, and Milton Friedman and everybody else who knows anything um, set, you know, whatever you, whatever, whatever you tax, you get less of whatever you subsidize, you get more of. And it's obvious. It's a fact. And we see it all over the Connecticut tax code. So what would you do to start cleaning up the mess? Well, I'd start with some things that you said besides those things, but uh, let's just reiterate that, um, you know, you should have First, you know, you know, first year expensing, and you should sunset the surtax that's been supposed to surtax forever, and you shouldn't have an alternative minimum tax within your corporate structure that hits capital stock. And that one honestly isn't even raising that much revenue, but it's coming mm -hmm. from businesses that can at least afford to pay it. The businesses that might have to lay people off or might go under—that's uh, not where you want to generate that revenue. Uh, beyond that, getting rid of individual income tax recapture, just making a graduated rate tax system like everyone else other than New York for the highest earners has. Um, and in Connecticut, it kicks in much lower. Um, you know, just having a normal income tax would go a long way. I think trying to address the estate tax is worth doing. There's also things that cost almost nothing, but can make life easier for people who are creating jobs and creating opportunity in the state. Something that uh, Connecticut has looked at occasionally, um, it's actually a good study on this from years and years back, is putting some um, de minimis exemptions into the tangible personal property tax system. So tangible personal property tax, the name is kind of misleading because right. personal property sounds like something you and I have, um, but personal really means that it's not real property. It's machinery, equipment, things that can be touched and moved. So this is an annual property tax on, again, your capital, your, your business capital, your investment. Um, 
This applies to basically all businesses, um, whether it's you as a sole proprietorship with a couple of computers, or whether you're a large manufacturing business that has you know, tons of machinery and equipment and tools. Uh, it is not a great tax because you're taxing those mobile assets and you're discouraging investment, but it's even worse than it is just as a tax. It's just really high compliance. You need to know when property was purchased, at what price, um, you know, whether you've done repairs and maintenance on it, uh, how much is depreciated, you have depreciation tables, and you have to file all this. And that's true even for the smallest of businesses. Right. And the thing is, you could take the vast majority of payers off the roll for a fraction of 1% of what it raises, because all of it really comes from a few hundred large businesses, yet we're making you know small business owners truly small, even sole proprietorships, just bend over backwards to comply with this to send in a couple bucks. Uh, yes. That could be taken away. Just put a threshold in. A bunch of states have done it. They've done 20,000, 50,000, 80,000. There's a 300,000 exemption out there. Blue states and red states, it doesn't matter. A lot of states have realized this is generating nothing. Um, Colorado went to 50,000 um, exemption at a cost of 20 million statewide bigger state. Um, you know, uh, you know, some states, Idaho went to 300,000, I think at a cost of about 15 million. Uh, it costs very, very little and it causes a lot of paperwork. There's more spent on compliance than is raised by that portion of the tax. Get rid of it. Just put that exemption in. Sure. Sure. And I know that's one of the things we've talked about in our charter for change, I remember. And it's uh, it's the kind of thing that needs to happen. Uh, because I, I sometimes wonder why people in government don't take into account um the you know just this whole um opportunity cost you know what is lost as people just sit around complying with all this stuff you're absolutely right and this is why tax structure matters so much because taxes are not just a transfer from individuals or businesses to the government on a one to one basis where now someone else is spending the money there are inefficiencies that are created here and there's different elasticities meaning that there's different responses to this um you know some taxes are more neutral than others and have less of an effect on individual and business decision making some of them are more likely to cause people to move or to change their investment or to change whether they work or how much they work or whether they pursue that higher paying job. We don't want taxes doing those things. The tax code should be as neutral as possible. We know it can't be perfectly neutral, yeah. but we also know that's a goal. That It is. It shouldn't be creating perverse incentives. Exactly. The tax code is there to raise revenue. You need revenue for government. We can discuss how much, but you need revenue for government. Um, the tax code is not it is, you know, supposed to be putting a thumb on the scale, especially when it's accidental. I mean, we have taxes for good or for ill, that are very intentionally about, you know, putting a thumb on the scale, syntaxes, things like that. Yeah, but sure. most of these, that's not the intent. It's not to say, let's you know, create incentives for this type of investment and you know, make it hard to do that investment. It's not to say we don't want businesses in this sector. We do want them in that. Because honestly, if politicians were able to know what the next growth sector is for the state, <laughs> they could make an awful lot of money in another industry than government. Um, yes. You know, none of us know that as well as the market does. So the market should be able to run that, let the taxes be as neutral as possible, let individuals and businesses make their own choices. Unfortunately, the tax code in Connecticut and most of the rest of the country doesn't do that, but Connecticut's tax code is particularly egregious in this regard. There are a lot of things, even raising similar amounts of revenue that could be done to just make the tax code simpler, more transparent, more neutral. So you're not picking winners and losers, you're not skewing right. market outcomes, not creating perverse incentives, and not having these massive compliance costs because that's just pure deadweight loss. No yes. one wins. Government doesn't win, taxpayers don't win, it's just loss. 
Yes. And uh, and that is exactly uh, one of the ways we could unleash the tremendous potential in this state is by getting rid of some of that dead weight. As you move forward with all of these other studies, tell us as we wind up just a little bit more about uh, tax foundation, some of the other things you look at, some of the national things you look at, so that our audience has a better idea of some of the information you provide and, and where they can find you. Yeah, absolutely. So the Tax Foundation, we've been around for a long time. We've been around since 1937. We're a tax policy research organization. We have research at the global level, the federal level, and I run our state team doing work at all in all 50 states. We have a variety of sort of perennial resources, things like the State Business Tax Climate Index, also Location Matters, which is what we call multiple firm study. Basically, we take eight model firms, sort of the you know, classic businesses that economic development agencies chase after. And we put them in each state and run their taxes and show what type of taxes are hitting them in what ways, how that compares to neighboring states, how it compares to different industries. I think that's always an interesting way to see what's non-neutral within your tax code so different businesses get hit in very different ways. Uh, we have facts and figures. It's a handy, I say pocket usually, but you know, it's really in your you know, on your phone these days, um, you know, guide to state tax rates, breadth, um, structure um, across all 50 states, just handy resource on that. But we also spend a lot of our time doing you know, papers and analysis on both specific issues that are arising in states and the big general issues. So things like these days, data taxes, digital advertising taxes, uh, digital product taxation within that space, or uh, ways that states can respond to you know, greater mobility. So some of the tax reforms to try to benefit from the fact that people are more mobile now with remote work, but also how do you handle that from a tax perspective? How do you, you know, make it more efficient? How do you eliminate the policies that discourage remote workers from entering your state, the nexus rules, the, all the car complex arcane things that just make life more difficult? difficult for individual taxpayers and their employers. Uh, we work on a ton of issues across the country. Obviously, property tax is really big right now. Um, you know, Assessed values have risen everywhere, and there's good and bad ways to rein that in. So we've done some work showing how states can address that. But we just do a lot of research, and we work directly with lawmakers across the country. We hope our website is a resource to you know, taxpayers who are interested in these things. We hope that both that and us as a team can be a resource to policymakers who have questions on these issues. Jared, thank you so much for having spent time with us this afternoon. Thank you for all the Tax Foundation does to create, disseminate information and educate all of us. Uh, that is Gerald Walzak. He is the Vice President of State Projects for the Tax Foundation and taxfoundation.org. And thanks to all of you for having joined us. This is Carol Platt-Lebow. We'll be with you again for the next edition of YCT Matters. I'll show you around this place I call home.